All right. How many of you enjoyed going through 1 Samuel so far? All right. A couple of people, that's enough. Uh, Pastor got us started, you know, online a couple of weeks ago. The first part was on Hannah. Again, you can go back and you can catch that in the archives. Uh, and then last week he, you know, went through and talked about Eli. Today's sort of, this week is really running very parallel. I know it's the same series, but uh, we're going to kind of probably cross over and overlap some of the story that Pastor began last week when he was talking about Eli. Specifically today, we're going to focus on Eli's sons, Hophni and Phineas, And I want us to look at how their story, what they endured and what they did can be a lesson to each one of us. Uh, we're going through this and talking about the crown. Each, each of these characters uh, dealt with the fact of the weight of the glory, the weight of the crown being uh, the kingdom of God in different ways. Uh, as we talked about, Hannah was at the at point where she, she was desperate for to have a son, she knew what was destined to come through her, and she had to be willing to humble herself. And once the miracle happened, she was willing to give that miracle back to God. Uh, we talked about Eli last week. Eli was set up to be the judge. He was the judge of Israel. He was the, the chief priest of Israel. He had the anointing and the authority that when uh, Hannah came and he saw her praying, he had the authority to say, Hannah, you will have a child. And guess what? It came to pass. Amen. That's anointing, that's authority, that's power. I mean, Eli had everything in his grasp, but as we talked about last week in a recap, uh, it eventually became a little too little too late because what he had been entrusted with, he didn't take care of. And Pastor sort of took all of us to the woodshed. If you didn't see it, you need to go and you need to, to watch it about how there's so much that we've been given, but the old quote is, to whom much is given, much is required. You all know what I'm talking about? When God has given us and, and subjected us with the grace of the kingdom and the anointing and the power that we have through the Holy Spirit, there's a responsibility on our side to steward that and make sure that we don't mishandle it. And Eli, as a result of his, his inability to manage what God had given him, he ended up not, not lending his life in a good way. Well, sort of going parallel with that tonight for just a, a little bit, I want to focus in on his son. So if you'll go with me to the book again of 1 Samuel... And we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 2. But I want to provide a little bit of background on Hophni and Phinehas. So as we sort of said, Eli was the chief priest. He was the judge. He was the ruler. And so he had this young man named Samuel that had been placed in his care that he was to raise and he was to steward and tend under the, the, the guidance of the Lord there within his house. But he also had two sons of his own who, as a result of them being his sons, had duty as well. His two sons, again, named Hophni and Phinehas. Because they were his sons, uh, the way the lineage worked, you study through the Old Testament. Go back to the beginning in Exodus uh, when God is setting up his tabernacle and he's setting up things even for Moses. Moses uh, and Aaron. Aaron was sort of his mouthpiece, his sidekick, so to speak, who helped him in this process. And Aaron became the chief priest, and if you read, Pastor mentioned this in Numbers chapter 4, if you want to write that down as a reference, you can go and see where this started. Aaron was the chief priest, but his sons were to work under him and take care of everything from underneath his rule. Does everybody understand? Everybody with me so far? Aaron's sons couldn't just say, well, it's dad's job and I can goof around like, you know, sometimes kids think they can do. Well, I'll goof around and when I get old enough, I'll get responsible and finally get serious about life. Does that make sense? That's kind of the way that we sort of see things sometimes in the Western world. But no, their sons immediately had jobs and they had roles. Well, it was the same thing with 
Phineas and Hophni. So if you'll start on, if you'll look on your handout, the first thing that I'll go through is I wanted to make sure you understood exactly what we're talking about when we see their responsibilities. And when we talk about their literal responsibilities, you're going to see that there are some symbolic meaning that we have. We have some of these same responsibilities in our spiritual lives. Are you ready? So here's the first thing that they had to do. The first duty that they had was to offer sacrifices. The main job that they had is when people came to bring sacrifice unto God, it was their job to help them prepare it, and then a lot of times take that animal, take you know, cut it the way it needed to be cut, and prepare it the way it needed to be prepared, and pour out and use the spices and the oils that needed to be used, that were supposed to be used, and to prepare the sacrifice unto God. Whether it was just a burnt offering, it was an offering for sin, if it was an offering for peace, if they were needing to repent, whatever it was, when they came to the priest, the priest's role was to ensure that that sacrifice was completed exactly the way that the Lord had intended and detailed. If you read Exodus and especially into Leviticus and you read through the, the book of the law, there's a lot and a lot, a lot. It can get kind of, you get bogged down in it if you're not careful, but there's a lot of specific detail that God wanted when it comes to sacrifice. How many of you are thankful that through Jesus we don't have to go through that anymore? Because, I mean, it's a, it's, it makes my mind want to explode when you think about all the different things they had to do. But guess what? It was their job. Y'all remember the memes from several years ago? You had one job. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, you go to, um, you go to a restaurant and they, you know, get a hamburger and you open it up and they didn't put a piece of meat on it. And you're like, These, you literally had one job to put a piece of meat on a hamburger, and you couldn't even do that. Y'all remember that? Well, they had, this was part of their job. This was their duty. And yes, it may have been sort of meticulous, and it may have been time. It may not have been something they enjoyed doing, but it was their job. It was their role. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I really could go off on a tangent there. I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to spare you. But just note, sometimes the Lord's going to ask you to do something, and you may not like everything the Lord asks you to do. I know y'all can get excited about that. I mean, it's great when the Lord asks me to do something that, man, I'm, I love and I get to run and shout and see. And then there are times the Lord says, you need to do that. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't know. But obedience is greater than sacrifice. That's what the word says, isn't it? So even if it's something we don't like to do, God asks us to obey, to trust him that he knows better than we do. So their first job was to offer sacrifice. That's very important. They had to, to make sure everything was done. Their second job was to maintain the sanctuary, to maintain the sanctuary. Again, because of all of the, the meticulous rules and guidelines that God had placed in the temple and the way and the, the method that they had to go about worship and preparing offering and going through these types of things, uh, the sanctuary had to be taken care of. There were different things that had to be ready because when people came to worship, everything needed to be ready. I mean, again, we're talking about sacrifice. There was a lot of blood around. The, around. Does that make sense? Not to be grotesque, but I just need to be real. This wasn't, you know, a, a, a good, fun sight when you have a lot of blood and bleeding going on. So what do you have to do? It's, it's like if you cook in your kitchen. Hopefully, you, you, you at some point want to clean it up when you're through, right? Otherwise, you know, it gets kind of gringy and dirty and 
get sick because you you know, have bacteria and stuff like that, right? Well, same way in the temple. Let's clean up when we have all these animals slaughtered. You know, there was the place where the showbread had to be put out. Well, that bread needed to be fresh, and it needed to make sure that it was in the right spot. There was oil and lamps that needed to be, to be you know, make sure it was fresh and it was full so the oil didn't go out and the lamps could keep burning, and wicks needed to be trimmed because if not, you'd have ash start piling up and flies would start coming in and you'd start getting smells and things like that. Are y'all with me? It's just like your house. You don't sweep your house for a couple of months and see what happens, right? All right. Some of y'all looking at me crazy. I know this didn't sound super spiritual. Well, I mean, I'm just telling you what, they had a job. They had to clean. And maybe their kids were like my kids. My kids aren't just super excited when it comes to cleaning. You tell them Santa's on the way. Woo! You tell them before Santa can come, we got to clean up all this mess. They They have a conflict that has to go on. Well, guess what? Here's Eli and his kids, and one of their jobs is you need to clean up, make sure that the sanctuary is clean. You have to make sure everything's respectable. One, you need to make sure it's functional. If you don't clean, things can't function the way that they need to. And second of all, it's the Lord's house. It's literally where the Lord and His presence is coming to dwell. I mean, again, I've used this analogy too much, but I mean, when I was a kid, we had, you know, guest evangelists and preachers It seemed like every other week or month that would come and stay at our house. It was just a different season than it is now, but uh, dad, as a minister, when they had preachers come, they came and stayed in in our house in the guest room or either when me and my brother's room, one of us was going to have to give up the room and go stay in the other person's room. And the, the part I hated about the most wasn't necessarily the fact that company was there, but it was the fact that the w- whole week before the company was there, we had to prepare for the company to be there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, we had to put everything up, and we had to clean everything up, and I'd say, Mom, our house never looks like this. Why can't we just be, you know, no, it's got to look good. We're having other people in our house. Does this make sense? If we're with, and all of us, I guess, if, if you were to, you know, have somebody over at your house, again, different world, I don't know if this happens all the time, but if you were going to bring somebody into your house, you would do the same thing. You would make sure the outside was all trimmed and all the leaves were kind of raked and you'd make sure everything's kind of picked up because you want to have a good impression. If we're willing to do that for people, how much more would we expect the house that we're inviting God to be in to be prepared and clean? I know it's ironic, we just had a play and there's cotton balls everywhere. But when you come into the sanctuary of the church today, wouldn't you? <laughs> there's a certain level of decorum you expect to see. Is this, this okay? All right. Well, this was part of their duty to make sure that all of these things were prepared and that they were maintained, that the sacred place was in order. The third thing that they had to do is they had to intercede for the people. This was probably the, one of their most important jobs is their job was to intercede for the people. Remember again, because of sacrifice and because of the order that God had set up. This was before Jesus. Again, now I'm so glad the veil of the, of the temple was torn. It was rent. We can go boldly before the throne of grace. When I need to get in touch with God, I can just go to Him boldly. I don't have to have a man go for me. Amen? But in the Old Testament, as a part of the Old Covenant, they needed the priest to, they were, to, to go before them, to bring their petitions before the Lord. Can you imagine the weight and the importance of a duty where you're the one responsible for bringing someone else's petitions before the Lord? That's a weighty job. Does this make sense? It's a heavy responsibility to know that that I'm responsible for bringing someone else. If I don't stand in the gap, then this person's prayers aren't going to go before the Father. They were the intermediaries between the people and with God. 
The next thing that they had to do is much as what you see a priest do in modern times, what we do here at the church, people who are pastors and leaders, is teaching and instruction. Teaching and instruction. Not only were they supposed to intercede and, and help do all these burnt offerings and, and complete all these sacrifices before the Lord, but they were their role was to know what the book of the law said, to know what the Word of God said, and to be able to teach and instruct all of the people on how they can obey the Word of God. Again, do you see how this is a very important task? Not something that should be ever taken lightly. I mean, my, we're talking life and death. You hear me say this a lot, and I'll say it again right here tonight. This is not a, a, a job. This is not a position that I take lightly, and I'm just sort of flippantly doing. There are souls in the balance every time that I'm asked to stand on this stage and to present the Word of the Lord. And if I don't do it in the way that I need to do it, in the way that He asked me to do it, someone's soul can be on the line. Because I'm crazy enough to believe that somebody may just be in here tonight that has to hear what the Lord has for me to teach. And if I basically don't do it to my full ability and potential and I just sort of take it lightly, then someone's soul may be hanging in the balance. Does this make sense? It's the same way with the priests, with, with, with these two sons. The next thing, they had to bless the people. Now, this is something that maybe we don't talk about a lot. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how this works and how we mess this up. But the priests, their, their role was to bless the people, to verbally speak. We talk about this a lot, and I'll mention it here again. The, the, everything began here on earth that we know is earth. It began with what? A spoken word. God said in the beginning, He said, let there be light. And once He spoke, everything that we know came into being as it is. Is that powerful? That's the reason the Bible teaches that there's, there's life and death in, in the power of what we say. Because when you begin to speak words, whether they're words that are positive or they're words that are negative, whatever you begin to speak, it's going to begin to dictate and manifest in your life. That's why if you start to praise and talk about how good God is, regardless of what you're facing, you can't help but see His goodness begin to manifest in your life. And then if you start getting in the mully grumps and start talking all the time about how bad your life is and how sick your life is and how poor and how low your bank account is and how annoying your family is and how much you hate your job, guess what? All those things are just going to compound and become to get any worse. Is this okay? That's this power of the spoken word and what you speak over your life. Well, guess what? The priests, these sons, their job was to proclaim and speak blessing. They were to look at the people and say, bless you. I pray that the God, and let his face shine upon you. That commanded blessing was came from their mouths and came into the heart of God and was brought down on the people. Does this make sense? All right. So, I, 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 And this is just introduction. I'm going to get going here in a minute. Some of you, I can tell, are starting to worry. But we need to understand what they were supposed to do so that you know how well they did Next thing, they actually had a role to judge legal and ritual matters. I mean, again, their, their name at this time were judges. They weren't kings. They were judges. 
Eli being the, the one that was called a judge. So there would come a point, especially when it came to matters of the rule of law, the book of law, the, the scripture that God had written, there came a point that where if there was a, a dispute, if there was a conflict, if somebody had a problem and they needed to figure out what the Lord said, well, they came to the priest so the priest could hear from the Lord, can read the scriptures, know the scriptures, interpret the scriptures, and be able to settle the matters on where God stood. Does that make sense? Again, this is not something you can take light. This isn't something you can just Google or type in the chat GBT and let it give you an answer and tell them to let it roll with it. You had to know what God said. Is this okay? The last thing, and I know I said several of them was probably the most, this was the most important part. All of these jobs were very important, but this one was the most important, and it was the job that they had of caring for the Ark of the Covenant. Caring for the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, was the physical, symbolic representation of the presence of God. It was a box that was built that the, the Ten Commandments, the very rocks that those were written on and chiseled on, were put into. And the Lord said, that is going to symbolize, that's my word, that's my law, and that's going to symbolize my presence. Wherever this is, wherever this Ark of the Covenant is, that's where I'm going to be. That's where I'm going to rest. That's where I'm going to settle. My presence is going to be there. So throughout the Bible, there's story after story of wherever the presence of God was, that's where victory was. Does this make sense? It was in the middle of the tabernacle in the place called the Holy of Holies. This was so important that if anybody touched the Ark of the Covenant other than a sanctified and pure priest, and even that priest could only grab the handle of it, if anyone touched the box, they dropped dead. Scripture gives a couple of accounts of this happening. That's how serious the Lord took this. This was sacred. Is everybody with me? Everybody good? So the job of the priest was to make sure the Ark of the Covenant was cared for, that it was protected, that it was, it was in the place in the middle of the Holy of Holies only the priests were able to go into. And you've probably heard and you can read in the Scripture where when some priests would go in, they would always tie a rope to their foot. Why? Because if something happened and they messed up and got too close, they may drop dead and they'd hear a bell ring and they need to pour that priest out. So I think that's crazy stuff, but that's how serious the Lord took His presence in His ark. So... At this point, we've established. Everybody understand what Hophni and Phinehas were being asked to do? All right. So now we can begin to look at some Scripture, and we can see how they did at this. Let's start in 1 Samuel 2, chapter 2. Let's start with verse 12. It says this. Now the sons of Eli were... All right, so already, does it seem like they were pretty good at their job? Right away, we see, hey, they were corrupt. And I don't know about you, but anybody who's in any kind of leadership position, whether it is in the secular world, whether it is in the church world especially, I guess, but any type of leadership position, if you start throwing around words like corrupt, that is a bad sign. Look what it said. Not only were they corrupt, but they did not know these were the priests. 
But again, I'll, I'll get ahead of myself and fleshing this out, but I can't get over this when I read this. These were the people who were the intermediators between the people and God, the ones who were supposed to go on their behalf before God, the ones who were supposed to offer these undefiled uh, sacrifices to the Lord, the ones who were supposed to teach and instruct them about the Lord, but they did not, they didn't know the Lord. The people who were supposed to care for the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, yet they did not know the Lord. And again, I'm not. I, I'm going to get some places. I don't want to rehash last week's sermon, but 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 let me kind of reiterate this point as the Holy Spirit's giving me a check. You can come to church every Sunday and every Wednesday. You can have every facade and every look imaginable, and you can die and you can go to hell. Because what you do in the physical can't take the place of where your soul really is. If you don't know the Lord, your attendance rate and your giving record and your charity rate and your reputation here in the world is not going to get you there. Only a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, let's move on. Let me read a couple more verses here. So in verse 13, the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot, whatever was being used. And the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So that's the, they're telling you what the, this is a normal custom. This was a ritual. Even the, the good priests, this is what they did. While the meat was cooking and it had to reach a certain temperature and the fat needed to begin to cook so that the aroma that was sweet to God would begin to go, then they could go down and just stick that fork in it and whatever the fork brought back, that was what they were able to take and feed on. And they could do, they would do this for each person sacrificing and this was the way that the priest had something to eat. Does that make sense? Much the way of a system where a church, you know, your tithes, your offerings, what you give, all of that's stewarded, and there's some of that that goes to make sure that your priests that can, can live and, and, and eat. Amen? Same kind of system, I would say, if I could use that kind of analogy. So that, that's what they would do. There was a part of them that they were, God had them taken care of. He said, listen, you don't even, you, you do what I called you to do, and you serve my house, and I'll make sure the people are able to take care of you. Is that good? Verse 15, or back in the verse 14, So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Now in verse 15 it says this, Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. So again, God had set this up. If you'll just follow my commands, you'll have all the cooked meat you want. These people decide, you know what, You're, I don't like your cooking. God, don't make me. You know, any of y'all have any picky kids sometimes where, you know, they just want to eat mac and cheese and rolls all the time, and you're like, you need to try all this, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's just what it is. Well, I kind of wonder if it's this attitude has gotten into these priests, and they've decided, you know what, you just give me all the raw meat. I'm not even going to wait for you to boil it, so it's a sign of impatience. 
there's a sort of a sign of rebellion that's coming into this place because they're, you're going against what God had told them to do. And then there's just a little bit of pride and arrogance because they simply say, give us the meat. We're not going to eat what you cook. And notice what they said in the next verse, 16. And if the man said to them, they should really burn the fat first, hey, you really need to wait. You're getting out of order. Then you may take as much as your heart desires. People would tell them that. But the priest would then answer, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. I was going to say you're going to look at me as I'm crazy, but that's, that, that wouldn't be nothing new, so I'm willing to do this. Anybody see, any Willy Wonka fans? I know there's a new Willy Wonka movie out. Any original Willy Wonka people? Y'all remember Veruca Salt? Veruca Salt. Don't care how I want it now. Her whole thing, the whole movie is, Dad, give it to me, give it to me now. Everything she saw, I want it, I want it now. And even as a kid, when I first saw it, I was a kid, didn't even really have a full, and I wanted to just like slug Veruca Salt when I was a kid. I, it's under the blood now. The Lord gave me forgiveness. But I'm just like, man, I can't stand this girl. And she finally gets what's coming to her when she's singing this song and says, I want the world. And then she stands on that bad egg thing, and she's a bad egg, and she goes down, and it kind of it's the end of Veruca Salt. Her bad attitude kind of took care of her. That's sort of the attitude that we get with Hophni and Phineas. They're saying, oh yeah, God said I can't have this meat. Too bad, I want it now. I want it, I'm going to take what I want because I have that ability and that authority. Can I just be real for a moment? We'll get back to the outline in a moment, but this is a good place for you to make. One of the biggest errors that you'll see in your spiritual life, even in your spiritual life, I'm not talking about even in the world. We obviously see that in the world. But there's people within the, the spiritual world who get kind of caught up on what's mine and what I get, and I need this now, and we forget that we're not living in our kingdom. We're living in the kingdom of God. You know, I... I'll just be, I'm, I'm glad we've kind of moved past this type. I used to get kind of upset at some of the bad theology in certain praise songs I'd hear. I'd hear people singing songs like, I'm going to get my blessing right now. Who's to say you're going to get your blessing right now? Don't get so cocky and arrogant in the fact of what you want and what God's going to do for you that you forget that we're still submitted to His will. Is this okay? God is still God. Now, I'm not telling you also that He's going to do what He's going to do and what we just don't need to go for the ride. No, He still wants us to come after Him and get bringing petitions, and He wants us to keep going further. But let's not get into this attitude like they did. They had allowed their position to get them into an attitude that they deserved what they get more than anybody else. There's people who get to a certain spiritual level and they think, well, I'm just, I'm above this. I'm never going to, God, you'll never make me go through that. And then when they face some, some trials and tribulations, they face some turmoil, the enemy starts busting them in the face with that and they lose their faith because they think, God, of all the things I've done for you, why would you make me go through this? Is this making sense? I haven't lost anybody, have I? We start getting that attitude. We start trying to take things and believe that we deserve things. I mean, there, it's even as, as childish as I've seen people who've been in a church for so long and they think, well, I deserve that role and that spot and I deserve to have this ministry and I deserve to have, because, because just because I've been around and it's mine, that's what I deserve. And God's saying, you deserve what I give to you. You deserve what I allow you to, to have, and I have great things for you, but you better go through my process and purify yourself and check yourself before you start trying to put yourself on pedestals that you're not ready for. 
Do you still love me? Okay. Just, just got to make sure. That wasn't necessarily in my notes, but I felt that strong right there in reading this right here. That's the biggest thing that will mess us up as we get our eyes off the fact that we're living for God and trying to please a holy God who loves us and has good things for us, but we may have to endure some things in the night. Is that okay? All right. So that's what happened. We'll take it by verse. So in verse 17, Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. All right. So let's skip down to, let's go to your outline. Go to this second section now, okay? So based on that, I've talked about the jobs that Hophni and Phineas had, their duties. Now, based on just what we've read already, and we're going to read some more in a moment, but let's see how they're doing. Let's look at the first one. They had a job to offer sacrifices. Did they do that job well? Come on, if you're their employer, you're the one looking and you're giving a job evaluation. If they're going around and taking meat that's not theirs and they're refusing to go by the customs and the rules, then I don't think that these are the people we want to offer sacrifices. So this is what I want you to put. They were taking the meat for themselves. Again, the whole definition of sacrifice is me giving something up. Does this make sense? I could really preach a long time there. I'm not going to do it. Especially in the holiday season of all times, we talk about sacrifice. In a world of indulgence and instant gratification, and I want it and I need it now. The fact that we're not willing to give up and let somebody else have the spotlight sometimes. We're not willing to give up and allow someone else to, 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 to fulfill the role and do what they're called to do. We're not willing to, to, to give up of, of the things that we want and our desires in order for God's will to be done. Listen, the greatest thing in your life, if you want to live a life that's pleasing to God, is you have to ultimately be willing to give up your desires for His desires. It's simple as that. And you're thinking, well, duh. But, I, and I'm not just t- but, but when we hear that, a lot of times we equate that to the true theology that by giving up my desires, I'm talking about my sinful f- lusts and my, my fleshly desires that, that are wrong. Does that make sense? And of course, God wants you to give those up too. But there are times when there's just some ambition that's on the inside of you. There may be a dream that's on the inside of you that may even be God-given, but it's not God's time. Does this make sense? I'm not just talking about sinful stuff. I'm just talking about there's things that you want to do or achieve or there's a a goal that you have. There may be something that God placed on you at an early age and you're ready to see that happen and accomplish. But let me tell you, if you start putting your desires in front of where God wants you to be right now, you're going to get out of His line line with His will and it's not going to go well for you. You're going to end up most of the time, in my experience, you'll set yourself back even further away from it, and you'll have to go through it all over again. Is this okay? Listen, there have been moments in, in, in the reason I can say that, there have been moments in ministry, man. I've had things, man, I want to do this and achieve that, and I want to go there, and I want to do that, and I want to, this is, this is where I see myself, and this is where I want to be. And then, listen, there were times when I literally fought with the Lord, and even in what most people would consider successful mis- ministry, I was miserable. Why? Because I wanted to be somewhere further along than I needed to be. Does that make sense? God, why can't I see all these people doing that? Why can't I do that? And finally, 
where I, where I really have found peace and where I've seen the Lord really work and move in my life and I've found the most peace in my soul is when I finally said, I don't, I'm going to lay down all that stuff. I'm not saying that those, stuff, those things and those dreams and aspirations aren't going to come around. But I'm at a point right now where I'm going to quit trying to chase the aspirations and I'm going to chase you, Lord. I'm going to go after what you have me to do right now in this moment where I'm at in the present. I'm going to allow you to be God in my home and in my workplace and in the ministry opportunities I have right now. And once those things happen and I start fulfill the, the will of God there, then I'll be prepared and ready to go to where I need to go next. Is this okay? Some of you, that may be on your job. You're wondering why those three people keep get, have gotten a promotion over you. It may be natural for you to want to be in that position, but I'm here to tell you, why don't you be, be content and be be patient where you are and continue to be the best that God wants you to be right there and in due time there's no if it's for you there's nothing that can stop it it's good preaching PB it may be kind of a financial thing it may be in ministry it may be in your job wherever it is if there's something that you're it's good I want you to have ambition does that make sense I mean, I don't think it's, uh, how can I say it? I think that God puts things on the inside of us. I think there are things that drive us and push us. All of those things are good. But we start chasing the ambition and we stop listening to the Lord. And then all we're chasing is kind of our fleshly desires. Does this make sense? That's what happened. They quit chasing what the Lord had asked them to do and said, I'm going to take what's mine because I can. And guess what? It, It wasn't pleasing to the Lord. Let's go to verse 22. Skipping down to verse 22, it says this, Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all of Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now listen, I don't want to be uncouth and crass, but do you understand the the craziness we're talking about right here? Women who were at the door of the church trying to go in and worship, and they were going in and having relations with them. Go to the second part of your outline. Their next job was to maintain in the, the, the sacred space of the sanctuary. <laughs> I don't think they were doing a good job of that. Instead of maintaining the sanctuary, they were defiling it with lust and pleasure. They were defiling it with lust and pleasure. Listen, there's an onus on people that are in the ministry like I am and across the world. And and listen, because there's been so many failures that have been so public and there have been so many things that are mainstream that people see and that have given us a black eye. It is incredibly important that we don't misuse what the Lord has wanted us to use to, to, to teach and to better the people for our own personal gain. But let me make sure you understand, that's not only just reserved for people who are like me in the ministry, it's reserved for people like you as well. It can be very easy for the church to simply become some sort of avenue for you to get into a social circle you've been trying to get into. A lot of people use a church to try to feed their power ego by trying to get in charge of this or in charge of that. Some people use the church to just try to get in so they can know the business. They just want to know what's going on so they can talk about it around town. Does this make sense? 
I know it's getting real quiet. I'm sorry. I'm just telling you what I've seen, what I've known. There's people who will utilize the church just to try to get a bill paid or something. And I'm not, again, don't, don't, let me make sure that's clear. We're here to help. We have a benevolence ministry. Everybody has moments. I'm not talking about that or making you feel bad, but if that's the only reason that you're, you're coming into the church or looking at the church is when those things happen, there may be a, a bigger spiritual problem going on on the inside of you. Does that make sense? Yeah, so please don't take that the wrong way. I'm not trying to put you down or embarrass anybody who's ever maybe needed help. That's not the point I mean, but there's some people that's the only time the church... I hate to say, I, don't, I want people to come all the time, but there are people who literally know the times of the year to come. They're going to come around Christmas, see if they've got an angel tree program or something. You know, there's things that people want to use the church for that the church wasn't necessarily meant to do. Is this okay? It's important for us to remember, this church wasn't here for us. We built this for the Lord. I love those chairs more than any of you, man. They're so comfortable, but those chairs, you know, this isn't about me. If they decided to go to metal chairs, yeah, it'd be less comfortable, but I mean, if, as long as we're still glorifying God, I'd be okay. Let me stop before somebody kind of throws me off stage. I'm not saying that's happening. Calm down. These are, chairs are here to stay. But notice, they defiled it with their own lust and their own pleasure. They tried to make it all about themselves. Go to verse 23. So he said to them, Eli, he's kind of touched on this last week. Let me read it quickly. He said to them, why are you doing such things? Listen, I'm hearing of all of your evil dealings from all the people. I'm hearing all the stuff you're doing. Thankfully, my sons are still young. They haven't done just a whole lot of evil. But I mean, when I used to work at a school, I mean, bless his heart, there wasn't anything he was going to get away with. And... I even tell them sometimes here at the church, there's, <laughs> because you're here and I'm PB, you're not going to really get it. There's not a lot you're going to get away with here because, I mean, I'll be sitting randomly at a, at a dinner table and some kids say, hey, your son was doing this. Oh, really? Okay. okay, okay. I, I, I've had the talks with them already, especially Joseph. He's getting old enough. I've, I've said, look, you've got you've to be above reproach. It's just the way it is. <laughs> But no, in all seriousness, what happens is, is if, if somebody is expected to be a leader and somebody is expected to be a rapport, there's going to be a greater spotlight on what's going on. And so obviously if these sons are going around messing around, they're going to go and tell Eli, he's the father, he's the chief priest. If there's anybody who can fix it, it's, it's Eli. And so Eli's saying, listen, I'm hearing all of the junk that you're doing. Why are you doing it? Verse 24. Know my sons. For it is not a good report that I'm hearing. They're not telling me all the good things you do. Tell me all the good things you're doing, but I don't want to hear all this bad stuff. You are making the Lord's people transgress. Do you all understand that word? So go back to the outline. What was the third job that they had? Their third job was to intercede for the people. They're supposed to be the, the bridge between the people and God. Yet, here's Eli saying, you are making the Lord's people what? So instead of being intermediates, instead of being intercessors, they're driving people away from God. And I'm not telling you that all of it's not conjecture and some of it, but in all seriousness... 
If you really, anybody I ever get into serious conversation with, and I shouldn't say anybody, but, but the majority of people I get in a serious conversation with that is away from the church and away from God, there usually is a story, sadly, of how they were driven away from God by someone in the name of the church. And I'm not telling you that it was something that was good. It's usually somebody who was acting out, as we talked about, in their own merit or in the flesh or in a bad attitude and decided they wanted to call somebody out when they probably didn't have themselves ready to go and they had driven somebody away from the Lord. As I said earlier, how many people do they see, these, these ministers who are, who are billionaires and do all these crazy things and then people just seem to, to, to look the other way and we see scandals and people say, that's why I don't trust the, the, the church. Listen, if we're, we're, we're the ones who are going to be the bridge between the world and God. Are you understanding? If we want people to see God, they've got to see it in us. So I'm not sitting here telling you, PB, you're saying i got to be a perfect person? No, I'm telling you, you better let God's perfection do the best He can on your soul so that they see that at work on your life. So that they know that there's something different going on with you when you're out there in the world. It's important. Go to the next verse, 25. If one man sins against another, God is going to judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Go to the next part of your outline. So they they were supposed to teach and instruct. But instead of teaching and instruction, they were simply examples of wickedness. I don't want somebody who's defiling people in the, door, in the doorway of the church then teaching me about what the Bible says. I don't want people who's stealing meat out of the pot when they're not supposed to teaching me about what the Lord says. And I certainly don't want someone who when corrected and standing in front of person of authority who gives them wisdom and guidance and direction to then say they didn't heed the voice of their father. I don't want somebody who's rebellious and can't listen to people who is in authority or the people that are above them and think that they are above all reproach teaching me what the Word of God says. So the teaching and instruction wasn't good. They were teaching the people how to to, to be wicked. They were supposed to bless the people, but it said, you know, again, go back, the people were transgressed. So basically, instead of blessing the people, they were cursing the people. Hear me out here. Maybe I'm getting too far on the edge of things here, but I think it's important. The Lord dropped this in my spirit this week as I was reading this and I saw this. Please understand, you, I, you may say, well, I'm not the pastor. Yeah, the pastor should be speaking positive to everybody. But listen, as the priest of your household and the priest of your temple, your, yourself, the people you come in contact with, you need to watch what you say. I just talked about how there's power in what you say, not only over your own life, but this is important. And trust me, I've had to learn this the hard way many times. I'm not... I'm not saying this from a, uh, a position of perfection. <laughs> I'm telling you out of a position of I've messed up and I've learned and the Lord has taught me sometimes the hard way. Does this make sense? But as powerful as your words are on your life, you better heed the fact that your words are powerful in other people's lives. Your words are powerful in other people's lives, specifically within your family, within your kids. You, you call your kids stupid and dumb and you're never going to do anything. You're always a screw-up. Guess what? You're prophesying their future. 
You start speaking the good things. You are blessed. You are, yeah, you're acting like the devil right now, but you're not the devil. You're holy. You're going to be a man of God. Amen? We're going to correct what you're doing right now. It's not right, but this isn't who you are. This is making you who you are. Does this make sense? But even within the church, we're the body of Christ. I mean, we talk about driving people away and turning people away. When people come in the church and, and they hear somebody saying something negative about somebody else or negative about someone in the church or negative about something in the church, that's not going to make them want to be a part of the church. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Obviously, I... I I'm, I'm glad I, I, when I speak this, I need to be clear. I always want to make sure. I'm not telling you I've heard anybody say anything bad about anybody, okay? This isn't me speaking toward an issue or a conflict. This is me just speaking in general. But listen, we're a group of people. There are going to be people in here that, that just personality-wise, I may not like. I shouldn't have said that. I know I'm Pastor Bradley. What do you mean? I'm just saying, I'm just being real. Can I be real? There are certain people that personalities don't always... I love everybody. I may not like them. I'm just kidding. But you know, I love everybody. But there's some people I may not want to hang out with a whole lot. Or I may not be able to, to, we may not just click. Does this make sense? That's okay. What's not okay is when I begin to go tell everybody else on this side of the church who it is that I don't click with and why I don't click with them and why they don't need to try to click with them. (laughs) It got real quiet. I'll tell you what's worse. Listen, we not everything that all seasons may do or not every program all seasons may have, not every class all seasons may teach. Listen, we work hard. We're, we're, we're trying our best to give you excellence every single time. But listen, not everything may go the way you want to go. You may not like the fact that Christmas Eve is at 9 a.m. this Sunday instead of 6 p.m. as it's been Christmas Eve every other year. I haven't heard anybody say that, but maybe you're one of those. I'm sorry. It's at 9 a.m. Now, what you can do is be here and worship the Lord with us at 9 a.m. Or you could choose to go to your, you know, social media and text message pages and everybody that you talk to say, I can't believe what this, I, I just, I don't like this. And everything, there, there's something wrong, you have to voice it out. And, and guess what happens? Every time you voice out negative stuff like this, it, is it going to make the other people excited to come to Christmas Eve? No, you're, you're killing a culture. Does that make sense? I know I'm meddling and I need to move on, but, but understand what you say is important. When you stop, we're, we're meant to bless people and to speak positive. When somebody comes at you with a complaint, don't try to build on the complaint and start a pity party. You start it right away and say, well, at least I'm alive today. Amen? At least we have a Christmas Eve service. Again, I haven't heard anybody complain about Christmas Eve service. That was hypothetical. Make sure you understand that. Let's move on. They were supposed to judge legal and ritual matters, but here's the problem. Because it says that they, they were sinning against the Lord, the people knew that they were going against the will of the Lord, they renounced their authority. That's what you can write down. They renounced their authority. Listen, if I'm going to be the authority, and I'm going to be the judge, if I'm going to be the voice, if I'm going to sit in the big chair, you know, I'm... Dabbled in school administration and even in ministry, kind of where I'm at right now. It's, we, you know, me and pastor talk and me and other school administration, school leaders, we kind of talk and it's kind of the, the adage, everybody wants to be in the big chair until they're sitting in the big chair. Y'all, y'all know what I mean? Maybe you don't. 
It's easy when you're sitting out there and looking at the big chair to tell the big chair what they ought to be doing. But I promise, when you sit in a situation where you have to make a decision and you're the one that it falls on, it becomes a lot different. Does this make sense? Some of you have probably experienced that in some way, shape, or form. At the very least, when you're a kid, it's easy to talk about everything your parents should have done. Then when you're the parent, you're having to make the decision. You realize, whoa, that's not as easy as I thought it was. Is this okay? But if you're going to have the authority to stand on there, that you have to be able to protect your character, and you have to be able to, 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 to live in a way that's conducive to that role that people trust you. Once people are going to Eli and saying, we don't trust your sons, they're doing things that are wrong, how much authority do they have to speak of the Word of God in their life? They don't. Does that make sense? I used to say this to students when I was a student pastor and all the time. I mean, you know, you believe what you want to, but if y'all walk, I, I would tell students, listen, y'all walk into Buffalo Wild Wings and you may see me sitting there with some woman that's not my wife drinking a beer, there's nothing else I could ever say to you that will be of any kind of power of authority. Why? <laughs> it's gone. I just renounced it. I've let you know that everything I'm preaching to you and telling you is right. I apparently don't believe it's powerful enough to rule my own life. That's what Phineas and Hophni had done. They had renounced their authority. They had a role. The, the crown of the glory of God was in their possession to, to, to lead, to steward. They were to lead people to the throne of God. And because of their, 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 the lust of their flesh and the desires that they had on the inside of them, they renounced the authority. They say, I don't want it. I just want to live up life to the fullness. Then the last one there. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 4. We're going to skip ahead. Chapter 3, we kind of hear the story of Samuel. And Pastor will come back next week and kind of divvy into to where Samuel played in that. And it kind of ends the first of this chapter where it says, The word of Samuel came to all of Israel. But now in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 4, we're going to pick back up with our, our two favorite guys here. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. And they encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. So we have a war about to happen. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the fields. So Israel goes, they're going to fight the Philistines. They lose that fight pretty good. They lost 400 dudes. Moving on, 4,000, close enough. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. And so the people sent to Shiloh, that they might bring from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts. Who dwells between the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And notice what happened. Sounded good in theory. But when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now listen, there's a precedence for this. They see the ark of the covenant. It's the presence of the Lord. The Lord is with us. Hophni and Phinehas have brought it with them. We're going to have victory today. And they're shouting. They're excited. Yes. Next verse. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. 
So the Philistines were afraid. Now again, there's precedent. They had been on the bad side of this before. They said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you don't become servants of the Hebrews as they've been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent. And there was a very great what? And there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. It makes 4,000 look like nothing. It makes 4,000 look like 400. When you're talking 30,000 people being slaughtered. Now listen. Hophni and Phinehas were supposed to care for the Ark of the Covenant. They get excited. The people have come for them. They need you. Bring the Ark. We want to win this battle. Did you notice anywhere in that Scripture where the Lord commanded them to take the Ark of the Covenant to the battle? Did we read anywhere in there where the Lord gave any sort of command, any sort of word telling them that if you'll go, we'll win? Notice what it said. They were supposed to care for the Ark of the Covenant, but instead they tried to use the presence of God for their own personal gain. They tried to use the presence of God to build their kingdom. If there's anything that I know through the study of the Word and through the experience that I've seen in this life that I've had walking in the kingdom of God is that when we try to use God to justify our plans and our desires instead of using our will to meet His command and His desires. Does this make sense? There have been plenty of things I've had people say that they really wanted to do, but how did they justify it? Well, I just felt the Lord say it to me. I'm not here to tell you that the Lord won't talk to you, but you better know that you know that you know that you've heard the Lord say it before you jump into it and say, oh, it's a good idea. It may not be a literal slaughter, but you'll find yourself spiritually or symbolically in a place where you thought, hey, the walk of the God was with me. God, God's with me. He's going to lead me through this. And all of a sudden, I jumped out in something that wasn't anywhere near His will, and now 30,000 people are dead. Can you imagine? So what was the result of this? The fact that Phineas and Hophni have sinned, the fact that Phineas and Hophni have, have basically abhorred the Lord and have not done what He said, what were the results? There were three judgments. Again, you can go back and read it. We're, we're going to see the ending up. But in, in, in 1 Samuel 3, basically we see one of the word, the first word of the Lord that came to Samuel was Samuel sell, telling Eli, your sons are going to die. Your sons are going to die. You hadn't, what, what, what we saw last week, you haven't done what you're supposed to. You haven't, you haven't tried to, to get them under control. You love them more than me. You said, oh, they'll be good kids. Maybe they'll work it out. They're just sowing their wild oats. Anybody ever heard people say that? That saying used to chat me, but I mean, that's the way some people think, oh, they just get it out of their system, oh, they just need to do all that bad stuff and they'll get it. I'm here to tell you, the Lord called us, holiness is His standard of living. He's called us to live holy. And so that was the prophecy. 
Then notice, let's, let's continue reading through this chapter and we'll fill in the rest of it. So the Ark of the God was captured. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they, they, they died. So what had been prophesied come to pass. Verse 12, and I want you to notice this. There was a man of Benjamin who ran from the battle line the same day and he came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt was on his head. You could tell based on that the fact. His, his clothes were rent, his, his hair was dirty. He had been in mourning. So, but Eli was kind of blind. So when he comes running, there was Eli in the next verse sitting on a seat by the wayside watching. His heart trembled for the ark of the God. Which, and when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? And the men came quickly and they told Eli. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim he couldn't see. And so the man told Eli, I am he who came from the battle and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened, my son? So the messenger answered, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened, when he made mention of the ark of God, that Eli fell off his seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel for forty years. Let me pause just quickly. I know we're, we're, I'm going to move quickly here in a moment, but let me just pause for a moment and kind of make an observation. Listen, Eli was apparently up in age. He apparently was, was big, as it says that he was, I mean, basically, in other words, he was kind of a fat person. He was a large person. So it's not too, he says he was heavy. It's not too much of a surprise that a shocking news of kids dying may cause him to react and fall backwards and die. I mean, his heart may have broken and he could have been dead before his head hit the ground. We don't know. But I do find it very interesting that that reaction didn't happen when he heard about his kids. The reaction happened when he heard about the ark of God. Listen. I know blood is thicker than water is what we say here on this earth. I'm a proponent of family. I believe that behind the church, most but behind your relationship with God, your most important ministry is your family. I believe that strongly. Beyond my relationship with God, my first and foremost, most important element of ministry is my family. My role here at All Seasons, all of you are very much important to me and a very big, I, I, I carry that and I want to do my best to serve and to shepherd. But I also feel that if I don't do that with my family first, I'm not worthy to try to do that here. Does that make sense? It's just, just, just my philosophy and the way I look at it. But even as important as my family is, the presence of God and my relationship with God has to even be more important than that. Because I can't lead them if I'm not where I need to be. And that's the part that Eli knew. That's the part that Eli had recognized. That's the part where he hears and, and, and realizes, oh no, what have I done? I've allowed the presence of God to leave our people. I'm allowing it to become defiled and defamed by these people, the Philistines, these people who are not worthy of that or are not supposed to have that. Does this make sense? Now let's read just a little bit more and we'll finish the outline. I think this is important. 
His daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child. So at this moment, so Phineas and Hophni are dead on the battlefield. Eli drops dead when they give him the news. Now we have this daughter-in-law. This is the wife of Phineas. So basically, she was the one carrying the next in the generation, the next in the lineage. Does that make sense? She was due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, again, powerful. Does it say when she heard the news that her husband had died? No. It says when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured. That was the first part there. And then she heard her father-in-law and her husband were dead. She bowed herself and gave birth for her labor pains came upon her. So She immediately goes into labor, gives birth. And then the next verse and about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, you've born a son. The lineage can continue. There's a man of God that can carry on the lineage. But she didn't answer. I think this is powerful. Again, not claiming to be any type of expert. Obviously, I'm a man, but I've, I've been in the delivery room twice with my wife who've, who has born sons. And even in the midst of, of the pain and the things that go along with that, regardless of what she was feeling, she couldn't wait for that moment, the first time she could hold both of her sons in her arms. Anybody know what I'm talking about? She couldn't wait for that moment to put her eyes on and all, the, all that she had been through over the nine months and all she had been through during that labor process. She couldn't wait to, to get her hands on him and to love that child and to see what had been born. So the fact that this is not what's feeling tells you that something spiritually has broken in this woman. Because she didn't answer. She didn't even regard the fact that it was a boy. And she immediately in the next verse names the child Ichabod. Saying that the glory has departed Israel. The crown had been stolen. You all with me? Because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband, and she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. And it says she dies in that moment. So obviously the word of the Lord comes and they prophesy the fact that Phineas and Hophni are going to die. But do you notice the second thing here? Their lineage was broken. Their legacy, their lineage, it's gone. I can tell you something. The older I get, the older I get. Another year turned today. And the older I get, the more I think about it. Maybe fear is a strong term, but the thing I think about and I ponder the most, the thing that maybe causes the most concern on the inside of me is ensuring what I have done and whatever I accomplish and whatever I do, I don't want it to die with me. Whatever happens in my life and whatever I have, I need to make sure that I pass it down to my next generation. And I see my boys up here Singing and in some ways kind of acting crazy. Sorry. I see and, and have hope of the fact that they're seeing and singing of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're part of a family. They're a part of a church. 
They're part of a place where they can grow and they can discover what talents they have. And those talents will be developed into gifts and, and they'll be able to use and minister for, for the kingdom of God. And that makes me smile that what I have gained through the generations that come before me, there's a place in a lineage for that to come behind me. But I'm here to tell you, if I mess around and decide that I'm not going to follow and allow the Lord to be the Lord of my life and I don't allow His presence to be the, the main part of my life, the main goal, of, then I have a chance of losing them and they're going to go to the world and they'll find a place to be accepted there. Is this okay? Don't allow your lineage to be broken. In the third and final part, the glory of the Lord had left. So, not only was their demise prophesied, not only was their lineage broken, but the saddest part of all to me is that the people suffered. The people suffered. Now the people who had just simply been coming to sacrifice and trying to do what the Lord said, the people who were even innocent and they were just trying to know what to do right. The people who had entrusted these priests with the, to, to be the spiritual leaders of their homes and spiritual leaders of their lives, now they're the ones who are going to suffer with the presence of God not being in the camp. Why? Because of the selfishness of those people who were in charge. Does this make sense? Don't allow the future of your family, your kids and your grandkids to come and the generations to come. Don't let them suffer because you're too selfish to allow sacrifice and discipline in your life. Don't allow the future generations coming in all seasons to suffer because you want to build your kingdom here. Is this okay? Don't allow what God wants to do through your life in ways that you don't even see yet. Don't allow future ministries. Listen, should the Lord tarry, no, there is really no telling what the Lord may want to birth through each and every one, of pers- every one of you that's in here in the next five and ten years to do. He may want to use you to do great things. I say He may. He does. He wants to use each one of you to do great things. You ever stopped and thought about there may be a ministry that God birds in me that sees 20 people come to know Jesus Christ in the next five years? What if there's hundreds of people the Lord wants to, to you to have influence over in the next 10 years and you just, all you have to do is follow the process and allow Him to lead you? Or you could continue to, to, to refuse to sacrifice and choose to chase instant gratification and live for your flesh right now and allow all that He wants to do for you later suffer. Will you stand with me tonight? I'm going to ask you just to bow your hearts with me for just a moment. I'm going to ask you as we pray tonight to allow Holy Spirit to begin to speak to you. I think this is important. I know, again, it may be one of those things you just say, LPB just says that. It's not routine. I, I, I speak this very, very much intentionally. I believe the word of the Lord is going forth tonight. I believe that in certain ways, all of us could look at our lives and there have been seasons and there may be moments and there may be some of you that that season and moments right now. There have been times where certain elements that we've been put in charge of in our lives, we've allowed to sort of become hindered. There's some of you that the Lord called you to be a priest of your household and you've been called to 
bring your children and to lead your wife or your husband and to, to be examples to ensure that our household is, is bringing sacrifice unto God through coming to church and participating in worship and giving and being an example of a giver. But maybe just because of the times and the ways of the world, maybe sometimes it's easier just not to force it. I'll just let them do what they want to. They'll, they'll come around. Maybe the Holy Spirit wants to remind you, don't, don't, don't tread with this. Don't allow the sacrifice to, to be marred. Maybe it's the preparation of your temple, the things that we talked about last week, even now. Maybe your temple's being defiled by things that you're plugging into your ears or the things that you're watching. Maybe, just maybe, God wants to use you to bless the people in the church and bless the people in your family and bless the people in your job, but your constant complaining and criticism and negative speech and all those things are doing nothing but bringing curses upon you and those who are around you. Maybe tonight's the night that you ask the Lord to invade your, your, your heart and help you to speak the things of His Word. Whatever it is, as I pray, I, I simply ask for you right now in this moment, whatever Holy Spirit is revealing to you, it may not even be anything that I verbalized from this stage, but it's what the Holy Spirit's highlighting in your heart right now. I feel this strongly. All over this room, some of you, the Holy Spirit's bringing those things. They're coming to your mind right now. They're coming up in your spirit right now. He's telling you, these are the things that you need to get rid of. Don't allow your legacy to be tarnished. Don't allow the possibility for the enemy to come in and destroy a heritage of, that I want in your life because of something that you can't let go of. Father, right now, I pray for every person, every man, woman in this place. Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak, that you prick hearts, that you convict, that you bring things to the memorance. God, areas that need to be put back under the blood. Father, you've called us to be intercessors, to pray and stand in the gap. Father, sometimes we get so selfish that we just simply focus on our own problems. But Father, let us cast that down and not forget that we're meant to, to, to bridge the gap. Help us to be intercessors. Father, the art of worship, the art of sacrifice. Father, as men and women in this place, it is our job to make that a priority. Father, our kids aren't going to pursue something that we aren't. Father, help us to be the examples. Don't allow us to be tempted to lay that example down. Father, I pray that, Lord, that you'll help us. Holy Spirit, be a bridle to our tongues today. Father, it's so easy in this society to point out everything wrong. It's so easy in this society to tear everything down. Father, it's so easy in this society, God, to look and point out and nitpick everyone else's faults. But Father, we know Jesus said don't look at the specks in other people's eye until we focus on the logs in our eyes. So help us to remove those today. Father, help us to speak life, to speak truth, to speak blessing over your people. Father, I pray, Lord, that we protect our legacy, that we protect our heritage, that we protect our lineage. Father, the Word says the enemy comes to seek, kill, and destroy. Father, he wants to destroy our seed. He wants to destroy our legacy. But Father, I pray and declare in the name of Jesus, he can't do it. For Father, you have a people here in this place that are going to make a stand. 
and whatever we need to lay down, whatever we need to throw down and and eliminate from our life to ensure, God, that we don't mess up the lineage, we're going to do that. We give you all praise, all honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Everybody in this place say amen and amen.